Hey everybody, it's Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. There are so many problems facing our world today and sometimes we feel like we don't know where to begin. Well, the perfect place to begin is with the word of God. And sometimes that seems to be the last place we are looking for answers. And that is the first place we need to be looking. I'm Christina Caramo and now it's time for some solid food. Welcome to a Solid Food, where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So the very interesting thing about life is that we're always trying to solve some issue. There's always some problem that our world is facing. And as much as we try to look around for all answers, the first place we need to look is in the Word of God. The first thing we need to do is drop on our knees and pray and say, what do I do? Now, of course, that seems to be the obvious answer when we're dealing with our own personal struggles. If you're having some problem in your personal life, it's like, well, yeah, of course, the first place I am going to turn to is the word of God. But is that the first place we turn to when trying to solve issues in the society around us? One of the reasons why we have so much craziness in our world is because Christians have acted as though our faith is something private, something between us and God now welcome in the public square. And that is precisely what Satan wants you to do because now you're ineffective to be a witness for God in the public square for the world if you're hiding your faith to yourself. Your faith is not meant to be kept under a lampshade. It's meant to have the lampshade off and bright and bright and bright in the public square for everyone to see. I'm not saying you need to go and throw holy water on people when you see them. But what I am saying is that you need to be unafraid when someone asks your opinion or asks for advice to include the word of God. And that is what our culture does not want to do. We sometimes look to fix problems in society and we're dancing about and we're dancing around and we never get anything done because we don't see the primary problem that we're dealing with. Oftentimes I talk about in the show how ultimately our problems are spiritual and that is very true because that's what scripture says. But even though we know our problems are ultimately spiritual, the Bible provides sufficient solutions to all of our problems. One of the places I want to turn to to point that out is 2 Timothy 3.16. And, you know, when we talk about economics, there's ways the scripture talks about how to solve that. When we talk about poverty, the scripture is has ways to solve that. When we talk about family problems, raising children, how to build a society, uh, all types of things, how to come out of depression, how to find joy in life, whatever your problem is. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, and 17 as well, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, that is so important because in our society, we do not understand that a couple things. One thing is that this is a perfect apologetic. And what I mean by that, this is, I'm going to go a couple different ways with this. So follow me here. One is that the Bible has all the answers for all of our problems. And that's something we need to remember. But there is no other worldview that coherently answers every question that faces men. It deals with everything from evil to why women have pain in childbirth to why we have so much conflict in the world 
to why do we have poverty, to why do we have war, all kinds of stuff. It answers every question that we have. And when we're trying to see, when we look at our nation and we see all this chaos and unrest, when you really sit and think about it, our nation is always in crisis. I mean, 10 years ago, there was a bunch of problems. 20, 40, 50 years ago, there was a bunch of problems. There's always a bunch of problems because people are people are people are people. And since we're dealing with human beings, you're going to have conflict. What the issue is, rather, what is in conflict is going to change. And as the conflict arises, there's no need for us to catastrophize like the world is going to go burning down. We just grab the word of God and we handle it. Now, problems get worse, problems get less. And what what's happening in our society is just the rampant immorality that's causing all the conflict in our society because it's leading to poverty and which leads to crime, which leads to dysfunctional families, which leads to emotional psychological problems, which also lead to crime, which lead to more dysfunctional families and yada, 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 yada. But what's interesting is in 2 Timothy 3.16, when it does Yes, in 17, talk about how scripture is sufficient to answer all or fix all the problems that ails man. If you go back and read the whole chapter, it is listing all of these problems that we will see in the last days. And it starts by listing things like people being lovers of self. And that's the thing. In our society, it's all about making you happy, finding yourself. No, I don't need to find myself. I need to find Jesus. That's all I need to find. And one of the problems with the whole concept of finding yourself is a very self-centered worldview. And we tend to make things all about ourselves and all about how we feel. And when we, and in our culture, we when we talk about finding ourselves, that's really the epitome of, of self-love. Now, I used to think that self-love was a good thing because it's really kind of taught us in the context of self-esteem. And I first heard someone challenge that teaching self-love is not a good thing. And I thought to myself, like, well, what's wrong with that? What am I supposed to hate myself? But that's really kind of a false dichotomy. Just because I don't, just because we shouldn't teach self-love, that doesn't mean that we should celebrate self-hate. Because when we love God and we love God radically and we have just such joy in God, then we're necessarily going to be kind to ourselves. We're necessarily going to be good to ourselves in a healthy and holistic way. But see, what happens is in our society, the whole concept of loving yourself is being marketed as a way to rebel against God and I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. That's very that's that's very bad. That's not a good thing. When we have this attitude that loving myself means defying and rebellion against God, that freedom and joy and liberation is rooted in rebellion against God. That's not freedom. Freedom means being able to enjoy your life and being able to live for God in peace. That's the freedom we should be searching for. But when we, in our society, when we're the lovers of self, that's what happens. In addition, people will be lovers of money. And and in our society, that is a massive problem. And... People have this attitude that as long as people are making money from something, it's permissible. That's why we have legalized pornography in our society. Because a lot of people say, or even we talk about a lot of entertainers produce really filthy content, a lot of people will rebut when you complain and say, well, they have a whole lot of money. And it's like, what? 
They have a whole lot of money. Okay, so what? You're harming the culture. You're, you're, you're peddling filth. You're living in debauchery. You're rebelling against God. You have a lot of money. You can't take the money with you when you die. And what's really interesting is I was reading this article, uh, I guess Bruce Jenner, I refuse to call Bruce Jenner Caitlyn. His name is Bruce. I think about the movie Coming to America when he said, and I, and I say, your mama named you Bruce, I'm going to call you Bruce. <laughs> if you've seen that movie, you'll get the joke. Nevertheless, um, so Joe Rogan made a comment, uh, and I'm kind of paraphrasing the comment just that, you know, like, of course, Bruce Jenner, you know, called himself a lady. Let me he was around those women or something today. I'm, I'm butchering the quote. Basically, his point was the, the Kardashian family is nuts, so no wonder Bruce decided he's going to be a woman at 65 years old. That's the gist of what he said. It was more to it, but you get the point. I just I just try to be very accurate. But nevertheless, uh, Bruce Jenner got upset, and he commented about his daughters, like, well, my daughters are successful, and blah, 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 and they have a bunch of money, and this, this, and this. And it's just it's like, yeah, but look what they have to do to get there. I mean, and then you are a 70 year old man who in his late 60s decided he wants to get a breast implant and identify as a woman. I mean, that's the thing in our society, people act like money is God. And as long as people are getting money, quote unquote, then anything they do is permissible in that pursuit. And that's what's driving a lot of the rampant immorality in our society is the love of money. Now, ultimately, it's the human heart curved in on itself, but the love of money is providing justification for immorality because we just say, hey, people are just trying, they, they're surviving, they're, that's how they make their money, so who am I criticizing? That's, that's ridiculous, that's, that's preposterous, but that's what's happening in our culture is that we're acting like as long as people are making a sufficient amount of money, that something is permissible. And that's the same true with artists. That's kind of something I talked about yesterday on the show uh, about with Patrice Colors. But um, but but it isn't just her. Her art isn't vulgar. It's just satanic. But the thing about it is, as many artists, they peddle filth under the guise of art. And that's the thing. Our, but our society celebrates them because they're glamorous, they're popular. So just whatever they do is permissible. And it goes on to say, uh, people will be proud, arrogant, and abusive. And, and that's the thing. In our, society, in our society currently, we have an entire month in June where we celebrate rebellion against God. And the whole thing about it is, is it's called Pride Month. Pride is a sin. I mean, I understand the word proud like, if my child does well, I'm proud. Or if my team wins, I'm proud. You know, it's it's not good to be a proud person. You know, it's, it's I'm trying to find the language to explain, but I'm having a tough time because the concept of being proud or having pride is such a part of our culture. It's so embedded in our psyche. It's hard to explain feeling excited or elated about an accomplishment or an achievement or something about yourself without using the word proud or pride. That That's really funny that I, I'm struggling to identify or explain how it's a good thing to have some joy or feel a sense of um, pride, right? I hate to say it because pride is something we're not supposed to do because the problem with pride 
is that we feel good of, about ourselves absence of God. And all any esteem we have in ourselves need to first and foremost be rooted in God. But when we feel esteem absent of God, then we get into pride. And the sad thing about it is in our society, we spend 30 days celebrating rebellion against God. In June, 30 days of celebrating rebellion. God designed the human family very plainly. And we spend an entire month celebrating rejection of God's plan for the human family. Think about that. And, and that that's what we're dealing with. But again, I mean, that's just Romans 1 all over again. I mean, that's that that and so I feel like we're we're bleeding Romans 1 out of our eyes because it's all around us. It's 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 like it perfectly explains what we see, and that really goes back to um 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because and when you see that in our society and you turn to scripture, you're like, well, wait a second. <laughs> it seems to perfectly answer what I'm seeing before me. It goes on to say that people will be arrogant. And 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 that's something that humans struggle with anyways, thinking that I'm better than other people, thinking I'm elevated over others. And that's the thing. You're in our society, you, you can never think of yourself as, as better than others and thinking you can know nothing. And that's the thing. You become a fool when you think you know everything. When you think you have no more questions, and I don't mean of a, you're at an event and they're like, does anybody have any more questions? Not what I'm talking about. Not what I'm talking about. But when you feel as though you don't have more questions in life, or you don't need to know anything, that's how you become arrogant. I always believe that I should, oh, I always like to entertain the possibility that I could be wrong. And I'm becoming more comfortable with listening to people whom I totally disagree with. You have to. You have to, even if it's just to better understand where they're coming from so I can more easily refute it. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? If I can do it, if I'm doing it for no other reason but that, it's important to listen to voices that don't affirm your own. All of us can learn something. And to me, at the very least, it shows me how to humanize. It helps me may always make sure that I humanize people that, whose worldview I do not share. Too many people, I feel, get righteousness, get a false sense of righteousness from their beliefs. Let me explain. Because I have these certain set of beliefs. I'm better than you. And since you hold these certain set of beliefs, that means you're a wicked person. That is never an okay dichotomy for us to have in our society. And I see that happening. That's why we get so indignant when people don't share our perspective. Now, if I'm in the middle of a debate, of course, it's, you know, it's going to get a little testy. It depends if, if the person is politely listening to me and let me finish, or if it's one of those where we're hollering at each other and I've got to, I'm yelling over the person, you know, of course. But my, my point is, is that we should never, we should always be patient and have, and never try to get our righteousness or feel a sense of righteousness from what we believe. You, you can't do that because you don't get righteousness from your beliefs. You don't. Only God is righteous. And when we give our life to Jesus Christ, he impugns his righteousness on us. But that's it. You know, and so we need to stop this false sense of self-righteousness 
from holding our beliefs. And I see in our society now, especially with the whole political correctness, is that people are on the progressives or liberals or secularists, whatever they call themselves, so many labels. That's part of why they feel appropriate um, going after people's jobs, canceling people's jobs, ruining people's lives, burning down buildings and doing all this stuff because they feel they are morally justified because they are righteous in their opinions. And since they are righteous in their view, that gives them moral justification for destroying property, harassing, and assaulting other people because they're morally justified. Whenever you feel morally superior to others based on your beliefs, that's that's when you get dangerous because then you mean they're morally inferior and morally inferior people we do anything to. That's, that's extremely dangerous. In addition, it talks about how people will be abusive. And in, in our society, um, we see abusive in, in many ways. But one of the worst ways I see it is through abortion. I mean, in our society, we have justified the slaughtering of millions of children. I believe it's 63. I'm sure it's more than that now. But close to about 65 million children have been murdered since 1973. If that isn't the most extreme form of abuse, I don't know what is. And we justify killing our own children. I was talking with the woman today, and she was talking about how um she was talking about how she was talking to the gentleman, and he was saying how abortion, he only supports abortion in cases of rape and incest. And let me explain something to people about the abortion discussion. The reason why I'm against abortion isn't because, well, she should have thought about it. That isn't it. It's because that child is a human being. That child is made a mago day. Okay? That child, they never lose that identity of being made in the image of God. So since that child is made in the image of God, just because they were conceived through rape, they don't lose their humanity. They don't lose that human dignity that they get inherent from being made in the image of God. Regardless of how their mother, how they were consumed, consumed, conceived, whether it was because their mom and dad chose to have sex or their mother was grabbed in an alley. Just to reflect on that, in Psalm 139, 13 and 14, it says, for you made my inward part, inward parts. Excuse me, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, and it even goes on to say more. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. And excuse me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. My point is that even in scripture, it talks about how God knits us in our, and that's Psalm 139, 13 through 16. I mean, 17. So Psalm 139, 13 through 17. And so even there, I discuss how God knits us in our womb, in our mother's womb. 
So who is another human being to come along and say, you know what, well, I don't want to be bothered or their conception was an inconvenience or that kid's existence is an inconvenience. So, you know, I'm going to kill it. That's not okay. And when we enter to a point in society where that type of thinking is permissible or okay, folks, we have a major problem. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. Again, scripture is sufficient to answer everything. Moving right along, it says disobedience to their parents. And, and the thing about it, our kids nowadays are out of control. You know, and one of the things that a lot of people are getting all testy about are people spanking their children. Oh, no, that's child abuse. We don't do that. That's child abuse. You know, people have been spanking their children for thousands of years. I got spanked as a child. I love my parents very much. They didn't punch me. They got a belt and spanked my behind when I refused to obey and act correctly. And I love them and I turned out very fine. And I didn't feel abused. I don't feel harm. And I turned out as a functioning adult. And now all this Dr. Spock thing where all this child-centered child raising, you know, are people not wanting to let babies cry? You got people with one-year-olds still getting up in the middle of the night with them. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so there's this child-centered child raising. And so the kids turn out to be spoiled, entitled brats who can't function. And, you know, you think about it even on television. They show kids smarting off at their parents. They show rude children and dumb parents. It's not by mistake either, but at any rate. But that's the images they've shown. I mean, you have kids, and you'll see these talk shows. I haven't seen them lately because I don't watch, watch them anymore. But when I was younger, kids hitting their parents and screaming at their parents and all this. I mean, they just won't listen to me. And it's just like, what in the world? How are you going to have a child? Unless the kid has a disorder. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, a kid with some type of um, um, uh, uh, emotional impairment or cognitive impairment. I'm obviously not talking about children with those issues, okay? I'm talking about children who do not have those issues, okay? And how can you not control them? Well, kids who turn out, who grow up out of control when they're kids, they turn into out of control adults. That's the problem in our society. Our society is a mess because the kids of my generation, they were totally out of control. You know, if you want to talk about how out of control kids are nowadays, um, and I think I might have shared this before, when teaching my class, my students, I don't know how the conversation came up, and they was like, Miss K, your mom didn't let your boyfriend spend a night at your house growing up when I was a teenager? Definitely when I was a teenager. And I'm like, uh, no. I would never even fix my mouth to ask my mother something like that. I mean, my parents would have probably just looked at me like I was a Dutch and not even answered and walked away. Like, I wouldn't even think to ask my parents something so wild. But this is what's going on. This is what's going on, you know? So the kids are out of control. And I feel like many times parents permit their children to do things because a kid is so out of control. The little bit of respect, the little bit of control they do have, they don't want to lose it. By telling the kid no to something and the kid decides to do it anyway. So they kind of feel like, well, I might as well just permit them to do things so I can maintain the veneer of control that doesn't really exist, you know. Nevertheless, uh, people will be ungrateful and unholy. And that's the problem in America. Um, I just, 
You know, I've said this comment to people many times and they, and they get upset with me. It's like, if you don't like America, can you please leave? Just go away. I just, I want you to go. And I strongly feel that way. Like when you look at America in the grand scheme of, and I'm not saying, and this is the false dichotomy. People act like you either have to like make an idol of America or hate America. Like why the binary choice? Like, what's wrong with our world? We can't have multiple perspectives. You can't say, okay, our country is rife with flaws because anything ran by man is rife with flaws. But overall, the framework is great. We just got to make sure we keep it in check. And and one of the biggest problems have a God-centered society. So we um, are moral people and we're just people. It's like, we can't have that kind of society. We can't have both. We got to pick a side. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I either got to A, worship my country or B, hate my country. So do you mean to tell me those are only two options? It's like people don't appreciate the blessings that we have. You know, I, I um, let me before I have a daughter, I have two daughters actually, um, but my one daughter, um, she was complaining about something. And I had her read about the children who live in the stores of Columbia. I did a show a few weeks back called Letters from Columbia. I highly recommend you watch that episode because I talked about how our country, if we don't stop these mobs, we're going to be like Columbia. And so nevertheless, when she read about this, she was complaining about something so small. Like she wanted like a new shirt or something like that. Like she has plenty. And she was asking about like a new shirt or some clothes or something very like a video game, something to that effect. And she just acted as though it was just like a crisis because she couldn't have what she wanted. So I'm like, okay, you're about to learn about kids in Colombia who live in sewers and are being hunted by paramilitary groups who douse them in gasoline and set them on fire or shoot them or kill them or stab them. And if they're not trying to dodge these paramilitary groups, they have to worry about the other homeless people who live in the sewer with them who are trying to kill them and steal the little scraps that they have. Let's learn about that kid. You know, and, and, and to me, when I see people who are ungrateful, that, that's what comes to mind. It's not the poor man who's living homeless, who's depressed. I wouldn't say, oh, you're just ungrateful. Like, he's homeless. To me, when I think of ungrateful people, I think of people who have plenty yet still are unsatisfied and are angry because they don't have more. So you attach ungratefulness to a privileged person. And that's what's going on in our country. It's like, unless our country is just full of perfect people walking on water, we're going to act like it's evil. It's just totally ridiculous. It's just totally ridiculous. Then unholy. Whew, that seems to be every episode I'm complaining about some unholiness going on. So I don't even need to go there. I mean, I've done several episodes about unholiness because our our society is totally unholy. I mean, we just do not care about following God, even in the church. Even in the church. Like cleaning starts at the house of God. Our our churches literally do not care. Most, so many churches in America literally do not care about following God. It's just about being a self-help sermon. It is it's grotesque. It's grotesque. Heartless. That's what I was saying. Just think of abortion. And I can't... It's, the murder rate in America, I don't think it's on the rise. But I think we're becoming more heartless for a perfect example of not just abortion, but the way we're able to record people being assaulted and being victims of crime and watch for entertainment on Facebook Live. Think about that. A lot of these fighting videos and murder videos that circulate. I mean, 
But the thing about it is that's really nothing new because you think of the Roman Colosseum. People came and watched folks get murdered for fun. But Rome was known for its depravity, so there, there's that. Um, people are heartless, unappeasable. Talked about that, just ungrateful. There's nothing you can do to make them happy. Uh, slanderous, and that is a big problem I see in America. We will lie like all outdoors to get our point across. I was talking to someone earlier, and, and I, you know, I don't mind debating issues with people whom I don't agree with. That's fine. But what I don't like is when people are liars. They purposely omit key facts. They engage in a series of logical fallacies in order to make their point. And I feel like our media and many people rather lie on somebody than actually just tell the truth of what they don't like and, or what happened and just try to win on the truth. But when you got to try to win on a lie, that means you're nefarious and you're up to no good. And then the claim you're making against the person is a lie and you're spouting knowing lies. And that's what we do. And just even think about our, our gossip. In our nation, for fun, we listen to gossip, celebrity gossip. You know, we want to get on these people's business and hear about how terrible their lives are. That, that's kind of sad when you think about it. I mean, you think about Wendy Williams. That's how she makes her living. By gossiping about other people. Just saying. Slanderous without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good. Treacherous. Reckless. Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pressure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. And that's the thing too. In our culture, it's like we want a convenient Christianity. We do. We want to be nice people. And I know people like that who are really, in my estimation, are really nice people. They've totally rejected God. But at the end of the day, whatever good deeds on your on this earth you've done cannot save you. They can't. They they can't save you. There has to be. There has to be not just. The thing about it is, it's not like you start off on earth with a clean slate. And then you have to accomplish so many good deeds to be seen just in the rise, eyes of God. The reality is we're born with this sinful nature that we're bound to and that we're bound to do bad stuff. However, Jesus died so I wouldn't have to pay the penalty for that bad stuff that I do, that I choose to do. Even though I'm a slave to my sin nature, that doesn't mean I have to indulge it. I still make a decision. Like if I say something bad or do something wrong, I still have made a choice. I didn't have to do it. But I, because of my sinful nature, I, I struggle in making the right choice. However, however, because of our sins, Jesus died to pay the penalty. I think people have this idea of salvation very backwards. I think there's many people who act, who function as though we're born with a clean slate and we just have to build up enough good deeds for God to accept us into heaven. It's not the way it works. We're born with depraved nature and because of that, we're, we are bound to do bad stuff. And since God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, he died to, and when you say God died, Jesus died. We'll get into that another episode. Well, maybe let me explain it quickly in case there's people who are watching who are not Christian. God took on Logos, 
the son took on human nature. That way he could die for our sins because God can't die. God, of course, can't die. However, a man can die. And since man, a man cannot be a perfect sacrifice for all of mankind, only God can, but God can't die. So God came and took the son, took human nature, took on human nature, never lost his God nature so he could die for our sins. And that's what happened. You're not building up your works. Your works are filthy rags. They're never enough. They're never enough. Avoid such, and, and, and it goes on to say to avoid such people. It says to avoid such people who engage in those behaviors. And then at the end of the chapter, it talks about how the Bible is sufficient for all of those problems we deal with. All of those things. And this is where I'm going to get to in the episode is that this is why it's so critical for Christians to be involved in politics and in the culture. And too many Christians are hiding in our corners and we're like, you know what? We can't do anything. The world is what it is. So we might as well just deal with it. That's not okay. That's not okay. You have to get involved in the world around you or it's only going to get worse. And people wait until things creep up on their door before they want to do something about it. You know, one of the most obvious things is, is Nazi Germany. Do you think most Germans supported the Nazi party? No, but they rose to power. And they clearly rose to power because enough people didn't, re didn't rebuke them or fight back against them. And that's what happens in our society. Things start to spiral out of control and we think it'll never happen or, oh, this is just this and that. And then before we know it, our country is on fire. And the biggest concern is the souls that are lost in the process. And as our nation just delves deeper and deeper into debauchery, it's like, we don't even care enough. We care enough to complain, but we don't care enough to get involved. And so I call on every Christian to get involved somehow, some way in your community. Even if you lack the time, donate $10 to a cause. You can do that. You can donate $10 once a month to a cause. You can donate time once a month to volunteer at a pregnancy center. Or if you're in Detroit, you can volunteer with Stanton. But you can volunteer anywhere. You can volunteer at your church, a prison ministry, a homeless shelter. Do something. Do something to help society and do it in the name of Jesus. I don't care if you go to a secular place. Let's say it's just a regular homeless shelter. It's not necessarily a Christian one. Hey, wear your Jesus t-shirt. Do something so people will know I am a Christian. And then when you do that, represent Christ well. Because we're representing him every time we go out. And we want to make sure that we represent him well because that will help 
bring people into the family of God. Christians have got to rise up. It's beyond politics. As my friend David says, it's not, it's not political, it's biblical. And Christians have got to stand up. We need more Christians in academia. My God, I need, where are my Christian educators who are unafraid to push back? We need a Christian teachers union. We really do. Who are totally unafraid to push back. We need Christian college professors who don't run and hide only in Christian colleges. We need you out everywhere. Christian bakers, Christian restauranteers. We need Christian in, in, in media and technology. We need Christians who are unapologetic about their faith in every public square, every area of society, because Christians are hiding. And, and that's one of the reasons why it is important for Christians to be financially successful. Because if, if all the secular progressives do all the hiring and firing, that puts people at mercy. But if, if more Christians own companies and do or different things where they are employers, then that will embolden the community and that will give courage to people and it will make it that much easier. Many people, you know, it's so easy to say what we would do. I'm not talking about someone asking you to renounce your faith. That's not what I'm talking about. But for many people, I remember when I was my first year at Biola and we were talking about, I forgot what the subject was, and I had brought my camera and I was making some videos and I asked one of the guys in my class, would he mind if I interviewed him? And he said, um, well, it's not that he mind per se saying it again on camera because it was kind of like we were like in a, a closed door session. He said, but he was just concerned that he might lose his job. But see, if he had a Christian employer... He wouldn't have to worry about that. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not talking about in this in the concept of renouncing your faith. I mean, of course, I don't care. I'm, I'll, I'll never renounce my faith, but you understand what I'm saying. Things like that at work, they may have you take some kind of training class that violates the Bible. And you're like, okay. Because every time I hear diversity inclusion, my ears just start going like, oh. because I know somewhere in there, they're going to teach, you're going to try to get everybody to wear a rainbow pin. It's like, okay. My coworkers can wear it, but I'm not doing that, you know? And then it's going to be all this, why, why, you're not diverse, you're a bigot, blah, blah, you know? So, um, but if you're working at a Christian company, you got to worry about that. And that's the importance of Christians becoming in more place of prominence in the culture. It's, it's not so much so we can, it's for multiple reasons. One, because we want to influence the culture. And number two, because we want to be able to hire people who can Christian so they don't have to worry about, do I have to buy into the culture in order to feed my family? Do I have not buy into the culture? Do I have to be quiet? I'm not even talking about buying in. I'm talking about just, do I have to be quiet? Because there's millions of people who they're not buying into the nonsense we see in our society, but they're afraid to speak out. What about the guy where I live in Michigan? Um, he's like 30 miles away. I think it's in Wall Lake. He just simply made a Facebook post about supporting Trump and got fired or Twitter. He got fired from his job. Do you see what I mean? But if it was Christian superintendents, Christian principal, that stuff wouldn't happen. And I'm not saying that a person, if you're a Christian, you have to support President Trump. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that many of these people on the left, they get their sense of righteousness from their worldview. 
And since they feel that they're righteous for possessing their particular beliefs, they feel that you are unrighteous for not sharing in them. So, you know, we've got to stand up. Mechanics, everybody, people who are unafraid to say the name of Jesus Christ. All right. And also, I want to say this really quickly, too. The reason why it's so important to say the name of Jesus Christ is because oftentimes in our culture, when people say God, they mean it in a very nonspecific way, very ambiguous. Um, for a long time in our culture, when people say God, there was this common understanding of who God is and who we're talking about. We're talking about Yahweh. But now as our culture becomes more embracing pantheism and all this other stuff, when people just say God, it's like now it's no longer being used as a proper noun. It's being used as a title for the cosmic force that birthed us all. So it's very important to be very clear. I'm not saying every single time, but it's very important to be clear that you're referring to Yahweh when you use God. Or you're simply referring, you're discussing Jesus. So people know where you stand and who you stand for. Not this God in the cosmic force sense. We mean God, the great I am. That's who we're talking about. Um, so that that's really, really important. It's really important. I thought I would throw that in there. So thank you guys for tuning in to It's Solid Food. I'm on all major podcast platforms. Um, you can check me out on YouTube and Facebook at the Christina Caramo Project. On Instagram at Caramo the Great. That's Caramo the G-R and the number eight. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles! <laughs>